Ion 2020, episode 148. Have 2020 Vision with Eye on 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. Hey everybody, it's Ray Eaton here, your host of Ion2020, your source for the news, related events, all those things that are going on with the 2020 election, and I just wanted to make sure that I brought you a great episode today. It's Monday, and thank you so much for joining me today. Spent the weekend down in Florida. We actually stayed at a, um, a Frank Lloyd Wright-designed house down in Tallahassee, Florida, I think it was, and uh, ooh, I know that the, uh, the culinary libertarian lives down there as well, Dan Reed. Uh, I think so. I should have reached out to him. But anyway, uh, so we're down there. I was, it was a really quick visit, actually. We were down there. My uh, my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law adopted two kids, and we just went down there and threw them a little party uh, between the two sisters. My my wife and her sister uh, threw a party for their other sister who was doing the adopting. And it was really fun, but the house was really cool, really uh, just an interesting design to it. Had a huge atrium in the middle with a pool in the middle and stuff. It was really cool and uh, a good event space as well. It was really nice. But I was the house was designed in like the 1960s, maybe early 70s or something like that. And I'm not sure if Frank Lloyd Wright actually designed it or if it was like his company or something. I don't know. I mean, that was the story behind it. That was a Frank Lloyd Wright home or inspired home, I guess. Uh, but I was looking at it through it and I was saying to myself, man, this is amazing the way that it's designed, but if you look at, like, the uh, the amenities to it, like the bathrooms and stuff, it tells how far we've come in America, how, how wealthy we've come. When you look at a modern designed home, like the home that I live in was built five years ago, and you go into our bathroom, and it is so much nicer than the most expensive home, or, one, you know, the top homes in Tallahassee that were designed in the 60s and 70s, that's what we were staying in, and... The bathrooms, even though they've been updated recently, they're still just not the same space as the bathroom in my home. The kitchen, same thing. Like, it's a really nice kitchen. It's big, but they had to re-update all the, all the appliances and stuff. I think they even put in their own island and so forth back in 2009 when they redesigned this or redid the interior of the home just because of the fact that it wasn't up to date. But the most, I mean, the most expensive homes built in the 60s and 70s don't match up to just a normal home nowadays. I'm not, I mean, my home is, we live in a decent neighborhood, a nice neighborhood, and there's neighborhoods that are like a, a few tiers lower than ours, I guess. But even if you go into those, you know, if you go into a home that's built, a modest home nowadays, a, you know, 1,500 square foot, brand new It'll have the doubled, you know, the tub with the separate shower. It'll have modern appliances. It'll have granite countertops a lot of times. And that was like, that would have been top of the line way back then. I mean, the house that we stayed in, 
the master bedroom didn't even have a bathtub. It just had a it had a pretty big shower, but it didn't have a bathtub. And that's just the difference. That in America, we've become so wealthy, so wealthy, and people just complain about it. It's just amazing. I was listening to a Louis C.K. It was a long drive. It was like a six and a half hour drive back to our house from Tallahassee in South Carolina. And uh, I was driving. I'm listening to Louis C.K. I love him. He's just absolutely hilarious. I think that the crap that they went, he went through a couple of years ago where he likes to masturbate in front of women or whatever, I think that that was just the, the stupidest controversy ever. That's my opinion on it. And it kind of ruined his life or ruined his comedy career in some ways. He tried to make a comeback about a year ago, and he went down to the comedy cellar where a lot of these comedians go in New York to try to make a comeback and try to just they, – they, what they do is they go there with their – with the good stuff that they've come up with. They go there and they test it and see if it's going to work out and see how, how how the audience reacts to those things. But anyway, I'm listening to him on the way back from Tallahassee, and he was complaining – he was saying – it was the whole cell phone skit that he had back when, and people complain about how bad the cell phone is and all this, and it's like a miracle that we even have cell phones nowadays. Same thing with like airplanes. He's saying like you're on an airplane. He's on an airplane. And there's a guy next to him, and there's it was like the first airplane that had internet on it, and the internet went out for like you know ten minutes, and the guy's like mumbling on his oh crap, this piece of junk. And he's like, you didn't even know 30 minutes ago that there was even internet on this airplane, and you're already complaining about it. But he was like, in America, we complain about everything. And it's true. You know, we complain about how terrible it is when reality is things are pretty damn good. Things are pretty damn good. And everyone gets focused on the way the government is and all that. But things are pretty damn good despite what the government does, what, despite what Donald Trump does Despite all that stuff, you know, despite what Obama did, despite what all these politicians are talking about in Washington, things are pretty damn good. You know, I mean, we pay the hell out of taxes. That's true. We get taxed the nth degree. Uh, we have foreign entanglements going on. There's wars and all that. But we live pretty good in America. And it's despite all of those things. It's totally despite all those things because our government just confiscates as much wealth as they can. They send as much wealth overseas to bomb people as they can, but still we're able to live pretty good despite the fact that the government does that. It's because of the way that the government was founded where it was a limited government. There was little that the federal government could do in the beginning, and it's slowly taken over more and more of the of the wealth of this nation it's slowly grown larger and larger to the point where it is now where it's a spy state it's a war state and everything else but we're in a position as people and the citizens of america where you know it wasn't the government that created the cell phone or got the cell phone to where it is today it's not the government that got computers to where they are today it's private industry and those things that we've benefited from things have been pretty good because of those things despite the government so i hate it when people complain but we do you know we do and uh i mean look at the frank lloyd wright house that we stayed in built in the you know late 60s early 70s i think versus the house that i live in today and that house would have costed a fortune way back when i mean this thing was like eight thousand square feet you know it was just absolutely enormous on like you know 25 acres of land or something like that it was just huge and then we're sitting there in my modest home in South Carolina. And it's just a, you know, it, it's it's night and day. I, I mean, I'm not half the size of that gigantic piece of property by any means. I have plenty of living space for my wife and my two kids. But we're in a position right now 
where we have better amenities than that house would have had in the 70s. You would not trade living in the 70s for living in the day. Everyone would say they'd rather live today. And the reason why is because things are so much easier. Things are so much easier with the way that we have things. Um, but you know, everyone has a different way that they believe. So not everybody would. Some people would go back to the 70s in a heartbeat, I guess. But there's that romanticism that you look at with the 70s, with the hippie movement and all that stuff, right? The peace movement, the free love movement. But the thing is, is at any time you can be drafted into the Vietnam War and go over there and be murdered, you know? So, I mean, be happy about that. And that is actually something I want to talk about today. I kind of got to it without even realizing I was going to get to it. And uh, the idea of conscription, mandatory service, and so forth. And that's what I wanted to talk about today anyway. So let's go ahead and move forward. But first, go ahead if you can. If you like what you hear, if you like what you've heard every day, listen to the show, subscribe to the show. And also, if you can, give me a five-star rating. The reason why I ask for that is because that helps out in those algorithms. When people are searching for different libertarian podcasts, this show will come up. And uh, every day, Monday through Friday, I'm putting together a great show for you guys. So if you have that chance, go give me a five-star rating. And then if you really like what you hear, go ahead and give me a review, okay? Uh, I'll read those reviews on the show. And uh, I really do appreciate those people that have given me a review in the past. And if you have a friend that might want to listen to this show, go ahead and share it with them. If you think you have some libertarian friends that are interested in politics and the things that are going on with the, with the election, go ahead and share it with them, all right? And uh, you can follow me through IonTheEmpire.com and also IonTheEmpire. You can look at me on Twitter, Facebook, and Minds. You'll find me there as well if you just type in IonTheEmpire. And then if you would like to support the show or leave me a voice message, you can do that anchor.fm slash Ion 2020. And if you do that and leave me a voice message, I'll go ahead and read or let that play on the show. As well as if you give me a, you know, a support, if you support the show with a $2.99, $4.99, or $9.99 support level, uh, I will mention that on the show and give you guys so much praise because I do appreciate that. I mean, uh, I'm not trying to make any big money off this show by any means. So uh, you don't necessarily need to support, but if you feel the urge to do it, go ahead. If you're one of those people that likes to support, I would appreciate it. Uh, but anyway, guys, what I want to talk about is this. There is one thing that I think the Democrats and the Republicans can agree upon, and that's right now, and, that, and everyone in America pretty much agrees upon, and that is that uh, service to your country is a good thing, Right? Service to the country is a great thing. Democrats, Republicans alike, most libertarians alike, you know, most people in America, they assume that service to your country is a great thing. John Delaney came, came up with this plan, though, over the weekend. And I saw it on Twitter at first, and I was like, holy cow. He's saying that he wants to start a mandatory national service program. He is the president candidate, presidential candidate, and he says, he says, to help bring people from different backgrounds together, Delaney is proposing a mandatory national service program. And mandatory national service actually is underlined in this. So it says a mandatory national service program to provide opportunities for young people to give back to their country and to meet and work with people from all backgrounds. Can you believe that he is for a mandatory national service program? Now, most people in America are okay. They say that people should serve their country, right? So this is something that can easily get through 
Congress probably if you ha- if if you got Democrats and Republicans on board with something like this. And I've heard a lot of Democrats talk about this as well. Even Pete Buttigieg talks about this. Even I mean, there's I mean, there's several of the Democratic candidates that I've heard say something like this in passing that there should be some sort of national service programs out there. Barack Obama talked about it. He st- he designated. I think it was like Memorial Day or Labor Day weekend, National Service Weekend or something like that, or National Service Day, rather than calling it Memorial Day, rather than calling it Labor Day. It was one of the two. I can't remember which one, but it was like a National Day of Service. And it's like, that was what they were trying to push at the time. But the mandatory National Service program that John Delaney's talking about, that scares the living crap out of me. And this is why. If you had a situation where the Democrats and the Republicans came together and put together a national service program that would require people to serve in the military or do something else, right? Service, serve in the military, do something else. Now, there's a lot of countries that make it mandatory that someone from 18 to 20 for that two-year period, they have to serve in their country's military. I believe Italy's like that. And I've heard of several other countries that are like that as well. And... In America, we have a very strong war industrial complex, right? There's a lot of special interests that push towards more war. There's a lot there's a special interests out there that are pushing to get more bombs made, more airplanes made, more tanks made, more ships made, more weapons made, even more boots for the soldiers made. I mean, that's just that industrial complex is there. More so than almost any other than any other country in the world. I mean, we spend a trillion dollars a year on our military. I think they just passed a budget that was like one point two trillion dollars for the military, the largest military budget ever. And if you had someone like John Delaney who gets into the position where they're able to pass, or if his national service plan was able to be passed, what you're looking at is the well-connected people. And the more wealthy people, those are the ones that are going to get the better jobs, right? The senator's sons, they're going to get the better jobs. The senator's daughters, they're going to get the better jobs. It's the poor. It's those that don't have a lot of opportunity and a lot of choices. There's a mandatory service now. So they're going to be forced in some ways to go into the, into the military service. And it puts more and more people into the service. But what I get scared is this. As the military gets more, or as America gets more and more entangled across the world. Now, right now, supposedly, Donald Trump is trying to pull back. But what if something happened in Iran? Supposedly, Obama was trying to pull back. But look what happened in Libya and Syria. He continued to bomb in Iraq. He continued in Afghanistan. Look what's going on in the Ukraine with Russia. There's like a tinderbox going in, the, in this country or in this world in some places that we have to worry about. So with all of those extra soldiers, you start having this idea that in people's minds that, hey, we can go out there and control more. Some crazy politician gets this idea. Some new president comes into power and he has, you know, 10 and 15 million kids that are 18 to 20 years old that have mandatory service. That just terrifies me. It just shows that you don't own yourself, right? But it terrifies me that somebody would have the ability to take 10 to 15 million kids and put them in harm's way. 
that if somebody was a bad person that had evil intentions, that wanted to start war, that wanted to conquer, that wanted to take our limited government and turn it into an unlimited power government and just go out there and, and, and destroy the world in some ways, they'd have that ability. They have the world's best military under its belt. They have nuclear bombs everywhere. And now they have 15 million kids ready to serve because it's mandatory. And that scares me. It shows how Delaney feels about his cons- the, the people of America. You do not own yourself in his mind. The government owns you. It's, it's, con- it's conscription, conscription is slavery. Nothing more, nothing less. Conscription, conscription is slavery. And we do not need a situation in America where someone like John Delaney can get something passed if he became president or if Pete Buttigieg became president or one of these other candidates decided that and they, they, got, they got elected president and they tried to push it through. They can probably get some bipartisan support among this. I mean, Republicans are all about, hey, I'm the patriot one. I'm the patriotic one. I'm the one who supports the troops. I'm the one that supports this country. I'm the one that loves all, the, all this stuff. Like, they run on this idea of patriotism all the time. What's patriotic? Serving your country. What's patriotic? You know, being willing to die for your country. So mandatory service, that's something that would easily get through with the Republicans. That's something that easily would get through with the Republicans. Now, there would be some resistance among Democrats. There would. But the Democrats, a lot of them are the same way now. They're getting to the point, especially like the, the ones that are more middle of the road. They're, I've, I've heard, I mean, I've even heard like Al Sharpton talking about mandatory public service. Mandatory. Making it mandatory. And that's scary. That is absolutely terrifying to me that my son, 11 years old, will one day live in a country possibly where when he turns 18, he is forced by law under threat of a gun, under threat of going to jail, under threat of death even if he resists that, to go to fight in a war that some politician decided he wants to go to. Oh, but it wouldn't be sold as a war. It would be sold as a peacekeeping mission or something like that. We have to go over there to Somalia. We need to take care of those people and keep them in line and keep and protect them from these bad guys. They would be looking for boogeymen all over the world in a situation like that. You do not own yourself, according to these politicians. You do not own yourself. You don't own your money, so you give them unlimited money now. You give them unlimited money, you give unlimited whatever, you know, power. And now they have control of your life as well. They have control of your money, and they have control of your life. That's nothing more than slavery. Nothing more than slavery. And John Delaney, he needs to... This is a bad idea. I actually posted something on Twitter about this in response to it. And when I posted that, a lot of people on the left started responding to it in a positive way when I, when I pushed back against John Delaney. I said, if you give the government unlimited, if you think the government's bad now spending your money overseas, wait till they have control of your money and your life. How bad will it be then? 
right? How irresponsible will they be at that point? So I posted that and I had a lot of people on the left that shared it, that reposted it, that liked it or whatever. And that just shows me that the left is not going to go for something like that. But John Delaney is not running on that left-hand side. He's trying to be like the middle ground person in this in this race. So that's what he's trying to do. So he's going to try to go down that road, I'm sure. It makes me sick. It absolutely does. And what we need to do as people, as libertarians, is get out there and talk to our friends about these things and get out there and make it known that these are bad ideas, that these politicians are coming up with more ways to control you and control your life. And as we change more hearts and minds, we're going to have the ability to do what? We're going to have the ability to start getting better people into office, better people you know, into the positions of power who will look to take apart government and take and give back the power to the people. And that's a good thing, guys. Um, so, hey, guys, debates are this week on Tuesday and Wednesday night, there will be debates. Uh, I'm going to do a I'm going to do a pre-debate show tomorrow for you for Tuesday, and that's just going to go over all the candidates that are in the debate. I'll do that really quick. I've done a debate show like that before. I did the pre-debate show, and I thought it was uh, it, it. What I'll do is I'll go through all the candidates again for Tuesday night's debate and Wednesday night's debate and tell you some little updates about each of those candidates since then, as well as the one candidate that got out of the race and the new candidate that's going to be on the debate stage, all right? So you'll see that show tomorrow. And then on Wednesday, you'll see Tuesday night's debate. I'll do a, I'll do a, a show on Tuesday night's debate, which will be released on Wednesday. So I'll do that right after the debates are over. Uh, and then on Wednesday, I'll do the same thing. I'll watch the debate. And then on Thursday, you'll see the show get released for the debates, all right? And then I'll just uh, kind of wrap up all that. On the Friday, maybe I'll go after the. what I'll do is I'll just do the show based upon, like, the outcome of the debates, of what the pundits were saying and so forth. That's kind of, that's kind of the strategy that I followed last time, and I like that strategy. We had a lot of new listeners come on to the sh- listen to the show that week as well. Uh, because I was able to put out a show almost immediately after the debates were over with. I had a, I mean, I literally had a show out within six hours. That's the benefit of the way that I do my show, is that I don't do a lot of editing. I don't do a lot of the, uh, the stuff that a lot, of po- a lot of the podcasts do. I don't do that just because I want to be quick to put out a show. And also, I mean, I'm doing this five days a week, so it's a little hard to really get deep into the whole editing side of it. I spend, you know, 30 minutes recording Every single day, I do about 25 to 30 minutes of research beforehand. I also spend a lot of time reading throughout the day on the different topics just so I'll know what I'm going to talk about. And I keep my ears listen. And I listen to all this stuff. And then when I put together the show, 30 minutes, I do some very minor editing, just getting all the stuff, the pre-show stuff, as well as the end of the show stuff together. And then I publish it. And that's what I do uh, five days a week. So it's a little bit tough. That's why I don't do a lot of the editing, but I will have a show out for you within five hours after that debate's over, as well as uh, that'll be on Tuesday night, and on Wednesday night, I'll be watching those debates for you. So, uh, And Friday, like I said, you'll enjoy just seeing what the pundits were saying about these debates, who won and who lost, according to the, pundit, the pundits, all right? So uh, keep following through. Uh, go ahead and subscribe to the show so you can hear the shows tomorrow. And then if you want to, you can check out some of the shows I've done previously as well. And then keep on coming back every day so you'll have clear vision for 2020.
Hey guys, I'm excited to announce the new podcast I'm coming out with called First Year in Sales with Ray Eaton. Now, if you're not a salesperson, then it might not be for you. But if you are a salesperson, or if you know another salesperson, go ahead and direct them towards this show. It's going to be a show that is based upon helping somebody that's in their first year in sales, or maybe even somebody that is in sales already and just wants to brush up on some of the sales skills that they need in order to be successful. I'm focusing on habits and also different parts of the sales process in order to help people to become more successful in their sales job. So like I said, if you know somebody that's in sales or if you yourself are in sales, go ahead and check out this podcast that's on all of your podcatchers, anything that you would listen to. And that is called First Year in Sales with Ray Ian.